Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing. This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. Okay, today our guests are Wu Wei Lan and Wei Xu. Wu Wei Lan is a PhD student at Ohio State University. His recent work focuses on collecting sentence paraphrases at large scale and deep neural networks for automatic paraphrase identification. Wei Xu is an assistant professor at Ohio State University, and recently she's been focusing on learning semantics from large data for natural language understanding and generation with stylistic variations. Welcome to the podcast. So today we'll be discussing your paper, which won the Best Paper Award at Connell 2018. Congrats. The paper is titled uh, Neural Network Models for Paraphrase Identification, Semantic Textual Similarity, Natural Language Inference, and Question Answering. So the gist of the paper is that several NLP problems take the form of two input sequences uh, of, of tokens and a categorical output. And w- while researchers have been addressing each of these problems separately, there are certainly related, there are related tasks. And uh, it would be interesting to see how state-of-the-art models for one of these tasks fare against the others. So in this paper, you provide a systematic analysis of how several of these models perform across uh, multiple tasks and domains. Could you tell us more about the different tasks and the data sets that you used for evaluation in this framework? Yeah, sure. We use the four tasks. The first is the paraphrase identification. This task is given a sentence pair. We want to identify whether the two sentences they are paraphrased with each other. The paraphrase, this task has two labels, paraphrase or non-paraphrase. The second task is semantic textual similarity. This is similar to paraphrase identification. And the difference is that the labels, the labels for sem- semantic textual similarity is a similarity score between 0 and 5. It's not a binary classification. The output should be regression value, real value between 0 and 5. 5 is uh, most similar, and 0 is uh, not similar. And the third task is natural language inference. And this task is very popular because of the SNRI and MRI dataset. This kind of related to the paraphrase identification and the semantic textual similarity. But for natural language inference, we want to predict the three kinds of labels, entailment, contradiction, and neutral. That is, if we can predict, get a premise, get a hypothesis from the premise, this is one direction from premise to hypothesis. However, for Paraphrase identification, semantic textual similarity, this are uh, two way bidirectional from sentence one to sentence two, from sentence two to sentence one. So, this uh, semantic relationship is kind of different in natural language inference. Similarly, for question answering, this is also a pair, QA pair. Given a question, can we say this is the right uh, answer? Uh, the right sentence is the answer for this question, true or false? So in question answering, there are many variations of, of the question answering problem. Which one are we talking about? Uh, what is the form of the answer? The question answer data set, we use the WikiQA and the TrackQA, and also use the clean version. The clean version means that uh, we select the QA pairs, that the answer pairs is the uh, sentences. The best answer, the correct answer, is uh, selected by the semantic relationship with the question. So the input to the model is going to be the question and only one of the sentences that are candidates. Is that right? 
The input model is a one-question pair, one-question sentence and one-answer sentence, a pair. Yeah, I've heard this task called answer sentence selection a lot of the time. So it's not like extractive question answering, like from squad or something. We're given a passage and a question. You need to pull out the answer. We're just scoring answers, which might just be whole sentences. So going back to the first two tasks that you described, is it fair to say that any paraphrase, any positive example in the paraphrase identification task would count also as a five in the semantic textual similarity task? The similarity, the semantic textual similarity task, uh, we can think of the score four five be uh, classified into paraphrase, and score zero one two can be classified into non-paraphrase. But uh, yeah, this is just a very rough equivalence. We can actually during the semantic textual similarity dataset annotation, the worker write a real value between 0 and 5 for this pair. So this is kind of complicated to compare with the paraphrase identification. Yeah, so uh, clearly there are similar, like there are, there are related tasks. They're not the same exactly, uh, the four that you mentioned. Some of them are more related than others. So do you feel like, are there any specific differences between uh, the nature of these tasks that would require different inductive biases? Or do you feel that the same model or the same kind of inductive biases baked in our models uh, should be good for all, equally good for all these tasks. Of course, the, the paper later uh, like tries to test this hypothesis, but I wanted to uh, ask about what's the intuition behind the study. Uh, did you feel that was the main hypothesis that we should get the same, the best results with one type of model for all of them? Yeah, that's an interesting question. That's actually a very, uh, very good question. I think there's uh, differences in the data set that it's very hard to, um, to analyze very quantitatively. So that's also one of the reasons of our papers, not only try to understand the models, but as well as to see whether we can understand different data uh, collection method a little bit better. Also this year, there's uh, actually the paper from your colleague at AI2 uh, talking about the, uh, the artif uh, artificial annotation uh, biases in the natural language inference data set. So we do notice that something similar is kind of the data quite varies because the natural language inferences is was given to a sentence to the cross-sourcing workers and add them to write a entailment uh, or a negation or a neutral sentences. So the cross-sourcing workers will do it in some certain way. While the paraphrase identification task, we primarily tested on a Twitter data that we collected in our prior work, uh, which is much more natural because uh, the um, the Twitter users will write quite independently for uh, if we collect data from trending topic. Um, but our other data set we tested is from the uh, Twitter URL data set, which basically rely on tweets that contain the same uh, URL that refer to the same news articles. In that case, some of the user may write independently with, and some other users will be primarily uh, rephrasing from the uh, news headlines. So that's also a little bit kind of tricky. So we do notice there are 
all these differences from the data collection technology uh, techniques every person used. So that's coming back to your question: how they are all these data are connected in terms of tasks, but it's also very much uh, depends on the data sources or the co uh, data collection methodology used. Uh, we do feel after this uh, analysis we did, we felt like the data collection is still very challenging uh, for this uh, research field that consider the pairs of sentences and uh, the field probably need to not only working on the different better models, but as well as creating a more high quality and uh, uh, well-refined data set for future works. Yeah, and I guess my intuition on the modeling question, should the models, uh, should a single model do well across all of these tasks? Before I read the paper, there's been a lot of work on getting single vectors for whole sentences and comparing the two vectors. If you buy into that as a good representation, then you would think that it would work across all of these different tasks. You would think. Uh, I'm not sure how much I buy into that. And particularly for something like a paraphrase detection, being able to align substructures explicitly seems like it should really help. And for things like entailment, that's also probably true. For question answering or answer sentence similarity, you wouldn't really expect there to be a correspondence between structures in the question and the answer. And so maybe a, an alignment kind of model wouldn't be as good. I don't, I don't know. So at, at least my intuition is that no, a single model probably wouldn't work unless you really think that a single sentence vector is going to work. And I'm not very convinced by that. I feel the same as you do exactly. I feel the sentence embedding my stories definitely have the promises to be faster to train and more versatile to apply to a different task. In, on the other side, if you have more particular data um, models that work closely on um, how to align the sentences or align the pieces of uh, a word or phrase basing the two sentences, definitely can do a better better job. I think it's a little bit really depends on the task as well as the data set. I felt like for paraphrases, uh, this word alignment or sentence alignment, uh, phrase alignment are quite crucial. It's definitely, if you consider that, it will work much better than having an embedding individually uh, produced for each sentence and compare their similarity of the two uh, sentence level vectors. Yeah, so actually, uh, it, at this time, it would be a good point to explain the two broad categories of models that we're talking about for the audience, because we assume that people didn't, uh, the listener didn't necessarily read the paper. So uh, yeah, basically, we're talking about uh, two categories of, of models that are often used for sentence classifying sentence pairs. One of them uh, you refer to as sentence encoding models, and the other is sentence pair interaction model. The, the main difference is that in the sentence pair interaction model, you you don't just encode the whole uh, sequence in one vector, but you also try to find the interaction between each pair of words. And uh, yeah, yeah. The, these are, uh, as, as you will note in the paper, these are the main two types of models that are uh, have been considered in the past. So I really like how you uh, analyzed a variety of different models in the same framework and, and helped, which helps better understanding uh, how they differ. So in table one, you summarized the key design choices made in each of the components, and as uh, when you uh, as you're encoding the sentence, as you're uh, computing the interaction between pairs of words, for a variety of models, I think it's like something like fifteen models, which revealed how close 
these models, uh, some of these models are. Could you elaborate a little bit on the framework that you used uh, to analyze these models and touch on the, the main design choices you feel were important? Yeah, yeah, sure. In order to do very good comparison, we carefully select uh, four or five models. And for sentence embedding-based models, that means we encode a vector for a sentence, then compare the vector distance. Mm, we select uh, InfraCent and uh, SSE. For InfraCent, this is a very simple LSTM encoder with the max polling. And uh, SSE just, is just a three-layer LSTM with the shortcut connection, then followed by max polling. For these two models, we can compare encoding uh, ability, which is better. One-layer LSTM is good enough, or three-layer LSTM with the shortcut connection is better enough. This is the first uh, example that we can compare the sentence embedding based models. Now let's talk about the pair interaction based models. For the second type, we select uh, three models. The first is the DEC ATT. It's uh, called the decomposable attention model. This kind of model doesn't use LSTM, doesn't consider context information. The, the two sentences uh, just uh, go into feed-forward network and uh, then follow interaction, interaction operations between two sentences. So I, I think you can um, refer the equation 7 to look at the, how the equation calculated. And uh, DCATT was proposed in 2016. Um, as a, and uh, it's very simple, very fast, can get good performance in SLI. And later, ESI, ESIM was proposed. It's almost the same as DECATD, but it uses context information. And the word, the sentence encoder is represented by, by RSTM, not just the feed-forward network. The attention part is almost the same as DECATD. We call DECATD and ESIM as soft attention because they compute the a probability between any other pair from the two sentences. And uh, okay, in order to compare the soft attention, we experimented with a third model, it's called PWM. This kind of model uses hard attention, different from the soft attention in equation 7. The hard attention is very intuitive. Given the interaction matrix, matrix uh, we want to, we sort the interaction value, and then select the top-ranked word pairs, and then highlight them in large with 10 times or some other value. And then after this enlarged version of the matrix, then we can apply the deep convolutional network or other things to identify the interaction pattern in the matrix. In summary, we compare the first encoder, which kind of encoder is good. Uh, single layer STM or three layer STM with the best with the shortcut connection. Second, we compare the context. DCATT doesn't use RSTM, but ESM use context, use RSTM. How helpful is the RSTM context in the encoder representation? Third, we compare the soft attention and the hard attention. Which kind of attention is better? So, yeah, I think these three comparisons should be very interesting.
And how about the other uh, variations in uh, that you have in table one? It looks like there are a, var- a larger variety of design choices. And I, I wonder, I know you cannot possibly like test everything, but I'm just curious to know if, if you feel like any of these is worth highlighting or like just talking about. Actually, for Sentinel Encoder, RSTM is the uh, most uh, popular. Other people also use the CNN. The tree RSTM, mm, similarly, but RSTM is the uh, most uh, is uh, can show best performance. I think uh, during modern design, uh, using RSTM uh, as a central encoder, this should be a default uh, selection. This part uh, is okay, and um, second is the interaction, interaction and attention. Actually, the model with the interaction and attention. Is always better than the sentence embedding based model. So here the interaction is is very important. And I want to mention that there's one model use the self attention, Wang and Jiang 2017. So this is different attention, different from the DCATT or PWM. But uh, we we didn't do experiment for this kind of model, this kind of attention. So self attention, uh, it it shouldn't, I guess, be used for interaction, right? To find the interaction between pairs of words across sentences. What do you use it for? Is it for the aggregation part? Oh, self interaction is also used in sentence encoder. But after sentence encoder, they can be used into interaction. Um, and how about the uh, like the different choices in the aggregation, the last and the output layers? Uh, do you feel like it seems like they're Kind of arbitrary. No, this part doesn't uh, differ too much. If you use MLP or CNN, doesn't affect too much. Mostly, people will use the multi-layer perception. Very simple and uh, good enough to show the performance. Okay, so do do you want to jump in the experiments then and tell us uh, about how uh, how the like the results uh, looked like, or uh, are there anything else that you'd like to talk about in the modeling part? Uh, yeah, another interesting is that uh, during my re-implementation, um, uh, uh, I'm based on PyTorch, and uh, there are some tricks you have to adapt. Otherwise, you cannot get the performance reported in the original paper. Mm, we can have a look at the 4.2 implementation details. Actually, for SSE, this is Model use a three-layer by RSTM with a shortcut connection. It's very complicated, and this model can be easily overfitting. Uh, it can convert very fast, but it can be easily over uh, overfitting in the training center. So we have to control the learning rate carefully. For each epoch, we shrink the learning rate. There's there's an equation there. So for each epoch, we make the learning rate smaller, smaller and uh, to avoid uh, this model uh, overfitting in the data set. And uh, for DECATT, yeah, this model is, uh, mm, I, I tried a long time to get the performance in the original paper, but failed. Finally, I uh, use this technique, uh, gradient clipping. That means for each gradient update, uh, we check the L2 norm of all the gradient values. Mm, if it's greater than a threshold, uh, we consider skew the gradient. Uh, 
bell specific vector. So these are uh, these are these are details that they're not mentioned in the original paper, and uh, no, but they're things no. that you had to do in order to match the results or get close to the results. I guess yes. I guess like uh, as a general statement, uh, I think the the core message you're trying to say is it's not easy to replicate previous results and. Yeah, that's kind of a risk when you're doing this sort of analysis. You worry that uh, like the results may not be taken seriously because you didn't actually replicate the same numbers that people reported before. So there will be like some doubt that you you have a bug in your implementation or something like this. Um, could you tell us a little more about like how I guess uh, how to address this is a concern? Because obviously one of the reasons uh, you may not be able to reproduce is because uh, people didn't do a very good job, uh, like reporting, like the around 100 experiments, and they report only the best results. And we've seen ca- a lot of cases like this. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Mm, actually, during your model implementation, if there is any small bug there, you cannot get the performance. But uh, in some cases, the model can be. We are already clear about every detail of of this model, and the, the code is already checked. Uh, Multiple times, you can guarantee there's no bug there. You cannot get the performance. So this should be interesting. There's some, there must be some trick we, we didn't pay attention to. So, I mean, there are always going to be like uh, some hyperparameters that you, you didn't tune, right? You cannot possibly no, no, tune everything. The, I just follow the uh, original setting, uh, follow the setting in the paper. The, Propose this kind of hyperparameters, and you feel that that it's fully specified because, like, oftentimes when I try to re-implement, uh, replicate the results of another paper, they don't mention all the hyperparameters. There's some choices that actually may matter, like the size of the batch, maybe. Uh, I don't know, like small things yeah, yeah, that yeah. may not I, be specified. I, I know that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I also need to check the original code for ESM is a uh, implementer in. Sienna. And the PWM was the original implemented in Torch. I have to check the original code to get some details. Yeah, I, I mean, I find this a very useful exploration. I'm just like, I would like to think uh, with you a little bit about uh, should we be concerned at all when we're doing this type of analysis about uh, whether our results will match the previous results and when do we stop trying? Yeah, I think this is really depressing, actually. <clears throat> you say you you said it was there might be some bug if you don't reproduce the results, but actually a different hyperparameter I don't think is a bug. It's just magic, and so like how do, it's just really frustrating being in in this um, actually because you never know what's the cause of your results. Like it's it's super hard to reimplement someone else's work, and so that's why it's a whole lot easier to start. <clears throat> with a consistent environment uh, where you control everything um, and you can run really controlled experiments to see the effect of particular changes that you make. But then reviewers get grumpy at you because you're not reporting against the original results and it's just a big mess. Yeah, it's quite challenging. I think for one of the model we really care about, uh, I believe we will actually check run line by line to do a, a side-by-side comparison. It's like very exactly I lost the performance and did I get every line like 
like uh, on the toy example, they output the same thing. So it's a oh. pretty daunting. Yeah, glad enough. I think we um we push the performance pretty close to the original reported on the certain data set each of the model produced. Uh, we still, for most of the case, we shot off like one point of performance that we really didn't figure out the, the final trick. Or, and also, I think it's worth mentioning we only we didn't run multiple times to pick the best performance. Of course, the best perfor- uh, practice would be everyone run like five random seeds starting and average it. But given how long to train to uh, time to need to train such kind of model, I think uh, rarely we actually in practice uh, authors would do that. Uh, we couldn't do that either. So that ended up we shot off. I, we thought that might be the case that we lost a little bit performance. But I think this is kind of a known problem. So actually I was very glad to say when we got a review back that People understand this is a difficulty. You tried your best, uh, and we faithfully just reported the number we could have gotten, and um, and that's also the very good point that because the difficulty of comparing or implementing all these models, I thought that's one of the reasons at the beginning. Of, oh, we want to to say actually how this model perform. We do need to make have it more controlled environment because at this. Uh, current stage of the research in this area, people have been working on neural model for two or three years on this kind of task and data set. The performance differences of the top models are getting very close. So it's a little very hard to say what the next direction to go, what actually worked or what doesn't. Uh, so we really implemented it all into a PyTorch framework to make it more as comparable as possible. So we do see some interesting result coming out. Uh, and actually, when we put all this exciting result together, and we were shocked to see how many like empty cells in the uh, in the table. Uh, we have one table in the paper yeah. showing all the models and the metrics of models as well as the the data set. But when we actually put them together, I was shocked to see how much empty space are there. We don't know what's happening. And so we were like uh, determined to fill this gap. But still, it's a quite expensive uh, experiment. I think some of the models take like two or three days to train on a cluster. So actually, we were able to carry out this research because Ohio, as a state, actually have a, a Ohio supercomputer center. So they have GPU clusters, have yeah. like dozens or hundreds of GPUs they can use. 116. Yeah, that's make it possible to do this research. So I can see why the original authors wouldn't be able to uh, run everything and show every result. Yeah. Uh, do you have any concerns about, I mean, I'm a little concerned that the results, the conclusions uh, we make from the experiments are based on one uh, run instead of, like you mentioned, having multiple runs and average and computing the average and computing the standard deviation. Do you have a sense of how big the variance look like for some of these models? Yeah, actually the variance is not that big. Here the table f- for the, we just one runtime. Actually, if you run multiple times, uh, the ranking is always the ranking order is always the same uh, as the, the current ranking. Well, that's that's great to hear. Thank you. Are there any any other highlights uh, that you'd like to comment on in the in the experimental results based on your analysis? 
Actually, one thing surprised me is that uh, if you use the trials, TMS work very well on those data set that derived from Twitter data, which is such a surprise because parsing doesn't seem to be something you would normally do on Twitter data to start. And we also tried out actually the Stanford a standard parser that's not even especially de- uh, developed for the Twitter data. Um, then we realized that it's kind of more not about a model, but more about the data, just because there's so much like a partial matches in the Twitter data, because it wasn't given a sentence and asked the cross-housing worker to rewrite. So it kind of like the uh, Twitter user independently write about some event happening. So they may have some half sentence like, I think, or like, ever wondered. So it kind of not really have much carry a lot of meaning, but does oh. give like a bad direction LSTM a lot of hard time. So if you use two LSTM and parsing, so then you will have kind of uh, put the, uh, this like, use these pieces into a like a less important position, then actually it's work better. So that's make us notice that uh, the Twitter data set we collected, although have very interesting, many kind of naturally occurred paraphrases, uh, it does have not as clean in terms of like the exact match of the meaning meaning of the sentence. So we're currently actually working on to trying to clean up this data set to make it with some post-editing processes in order to make this uh, Twitter paraphrase data set we created before to be even cleaner, uh, more close to natural language inferences data that created um, by the cross-housing workers directly. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I see in the table four that some of the models that do not model the interaction still get best, the best results uh, for like the SSE models getting the best results on the Quora data set. Would you, any any thoughts on why this might be the case? Is Quora that textual similarity task? Yeah, Quora is a little interesting. Actually, this data set is not, a, it's just a collector from the user uh, entity, the identifier. Okay, people ask many questions in Quora. Okay, if this user found this question has been answered has been answered before, okay, so he will um, tag this question as a paraphrase of the original uh, question. So um, this kind of process can give us uh, noisy labels compared to other standard data sets. The second thing is that uh, as for Quora, the questions, um, the interaction part between the pair in the core data set is not, uh, um, doesn't uh, give a very big deal. We also mentioned, uh, explained this in 4.3.2, the last question. Why does SSE excel on Quora? Okay. I do think like the Quora data set because they kind of more semi-automatically kind of created and also have content those like duplicate questions on Quora website. So a lot of pairs which are labeled as paraphrases are contain a lot of words shared in common. So it's kind of similar to an early data set started this paraphrase and textual entailment research back in 2005 or so from Microsoft Research, which is called Microsoft Research Paraphrase Corpus, which was quite uh, popularly used for like uh, last decade. Um, that data set have a similar issue. It's just a lot of um, paraphrase pairs. They contain a lot of word sharing comments. So they are actually quite uh, strictly put, uh, 
speaking are paraphrases, but they are just less interesting from a model point of view. But, but that doesn't necessarily explain why uh, adding the interactions doesn't help, or, uh, or maybe I'm missing the point. My guess here is that you get, uh, it, these are tagged by users, like think Stack Overflow, uh, it's the same basic the- deal where you have two questions that could be phrased very, very differently, might not even clearly overlap from like a textual similarity point of view. Like, um, so, so imagine two very different constructions that are in the end getting to the same point. Uh, it's a lot easier to like extract a topic in a single vector from that and say if these topics are similar than it is to try to align structures that are ex- from sentences that are expressed in very different ways. And because these are questions on a user question site, that that's my guess for why you see this behavior. Yeah, and also one thing worth pointing out, that Quora is one of the largest data set, but comparably those like a data set that SSE perform worse uh, are the paraphrase uh, data set or the uh, uh, semantic texture and similarity data set, they are much smaller. They are like a more like a, a one magnitude smaller. So I think the sentence embedding model definitely uh, have the advantage to take a larger amount of data, as well as the interaction. Yeah. Uh, it also have advantage on those data set that they share a lot of word in common. If they share a lot of word in common, uh, or like uh, the longest sequence sharing common is like really long. And then it's like the embedding, of course, if you based on like yes. a multi-layer ILSTM, they will have very similar embedding come out and identify those paraphrases a lot better. So they do seem to um, perform better on those simpler on larger data set. Yeah, one thing I want to mention is that uh, the interaction-based model can capture this very complicated interact, uh, uh, patterns, interact, uh, relationships between two sentences. However, for Quora, we know it has some problem about the labels of the, the text. And that means that for the negative examples in Quora, the two sentences, they are not, uh, they are not, uh, they are not very semantically related, but they're still. So that means the pairs in Quora, if, if it is negative examples, that means the two sentences is very clearly separated in semantic space. That's why interaction doesn't help in this uh, kind of situation. All right. Any last thoughts uh, on this paper? Paper before we conclude, I really think this is like uh, like this type of analysis is very important, and I, it's it's sad that we don't see more of this type of work. Uh, so thank you for doing it. Oh, yeah, I think I actually have to thank Leon and Emily, who are the program chairs of Colin. I think this year they particularly specified several type of papers out, like this kind of reproducing the existing result, as well as survey paper and opinion paper, position paper. So they actually, the Colin this year made a separate categories and also this clear separation of different type of paper, not only encourage the submission like ours, as well as make it reviewers to understand that different type of paper have different values. So it wouldn't have uh, misunderstood by the by some reviewers or criticized too, too, too harshly on those kind of a little bit more different or like uh, not the most common way to write a technical paper. So I think that really, um, kind of credit to Leon and Emily 
for that for this choice. Yeah, that's a good point. We uh, maybe we should try to generate like make uh, this a consistent track uh, in other uh, conferences as well. I think by just having these kind of papers as uh, in the conference and more and more, I think people recognize the value of this kind of paper. You're not like just incremental incre- improving some very complicated models and beat the state of art. That's only one. That's one way to yeah. write paper, but yeah. there's other ways to make the con- valuable contribution to the field. Excellent. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you.